Hello everyone and welcome to Sharing the Journey. This is Shelly and today I'm here with Lori and we are actually at the Twin Rocks Conference Center where we're attending a Johnny and Friends family retreat. So you might hear other people in the background, um, but hopefully it's not too distracting for you. Um, so Lori, um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your life currently and then we'll go backwards. All right, my name is Lori. I'm a mom to four sons who all have special needs of some kind. I have a 30-year-old who has Down syndrome, a 24-year-old with a brain injury and a long list of disabling conditions due to that, a 13-year-old who has type 1 diabetes, asthma, and ADHD, and a 9-year-old who also had a brain injury, but it doesn't have a huge effect on him. He doesn't meet the legal definition of disability, but he does have some special needs. A slight a hand tremor, a little speech delay, and blocked tear ducts are the things that uh, we see outwardly that affect him as a result of that brain injury. Okay, so um, what are some of your hobbies and things that you enjoy doing when you're not, you know, taking care of your brood? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love creative activities, and so um, music and artistic things. I play a few instruments, I sing with my kids. Um, I really enjoy crochet and I've had some of my original designs published which has been a fun thing I can do on the side because it doesn't have nine to five hours and I can just fit it in when I've got kids in bed and I can do things that way um, and I love the feeling of fiber in my hands so that hmm. is a creative thing that I especially enjoy but just about anything that's creative brings me joy. Cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your childhood. What um, what shaped you from your early... From my life? earliest years, I knew I didn't fit in. I didn't belong. I just didn't know why. I outwardly probably seemed to most people like a typical little kid. Emphasis on the little. I was always the smallest, and it just seemed like there was something that didn't quite makes sense to me and I always knew that I didn't fit in and I wasn't supposed to be loud, I wasn't supposed to attract any attention to myself, I was kind of supposed to be in the background and not really um, be noticed. Hmm. And that was just something you sensed? I sensed that. I don't think I could have told you that, mm -hmm. but I always knew that or felt that there was something wrong with me. Hmm. What about your teen years? What? Um, we moved when I was nine, and um, we moved to a different part of the country, and the dialect there was really confusing for me as an elementary school kid, and I went to a school that was kindergarten through eighth grade, so I didn't even get to leave that school and go to find a new group of peers after sixth grade. I just stayed there through eighth grade. And so then in my teen years, I went from this little county school where there were 45 of us who graduated from eighth grade to a school of about um, 1,200. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so it was kind of easy to get lost in the crowd and forget that there was something wrong with me and I wasn't supposed to belong. I did make a few new friends, and um, it was 
a little bit nicer, but I really didn't, again, I wasn't part of a crowd that would at all be considered the in crowd. Um, there were occasions when people would um, recognize that I was good at something and come ask me for a little help with a, a school assignment or something, but not anything where I felt like I had um, a really group of friends. I had one really good friend, also named Lori, and um, we did a lot of things together, but other than that, every relationship that I had was like a business transaction. Someone would come up to me in the hallway and ask me to help them with a certain assignment, or someone would ask me a question about something they thought I knew, but I was never really, I never really felt like I was included in a group unless there was some business or school or um, big purpose other than just getting to know people. Hmm. Were you raised in a Christian home? I was. I was born on a Sunday, and my mother was in church the morning I was born, and the next next week as well. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> wow. My dad pastored for two years. Sadly, he had some mental health issues, and um, tended to deal with frustrating situations by swearing at people. And that's really hard if a pastor does that with his church board because of a frustrating situation. Yeah, that wouldn't so, work real well. Yeah, so he only pastored for two years. Um, and then he tried teach. He, he had already tried teaching and, and been fired from several jobs. The first job that he had when I was a baby that um, he actually had before my parents were married was a cameraman for a television station. But um, he had a hard time getting along with people, so he lost that job and lost jobs frequently uh, throughout my growing up years. And when we moved when I was nine, it was because he wanted to take a job at a community college, thinking that people in a college setting would be more mature and there would not be the same frustrations that he faced in other places. And again, it was the same thing all over again, because no matter where he went, he was still there. and. He still had things he hadn't dealt with. And hmm. so um, by the time I was 11, he had lost his last full-time job. Hmm. And so he tried, um, he went to a two-week license to pre preach school and got licensed to be a pastor. wasn't an ordained minister, but had a license. And spent two years uh, pastoring in little country churches um, that would otherwise not have a pastor. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so, what happened after high school? Um, after high school, I was free. I could leave <laughs> my house. I went, I went away to school. I went 180 miles away to a university and studied special education. And um, How did you know that was what you wanted to... I didn't. I always, I always, all my life I had wanted to be either a mom or a teacher. Hmm. And because I'm, I enjoy creative things and I love... I loved instruments, and I, I wanted to play more instruments than we could ever afford, and I enjoyed singing. I figured I would just be a music teacher. And when I was in high school, um, because I was looking at teaching and mothering, so I took childcare classes mm -hmm. in, as well as music classes in high school. And um, when my junior year in high school, um, we went and visited, in addition to learning about child development, then the teacher wanted to show us examples of atypical child development, and we visited a couple of elementary school 
special ed classrooms in our city. And I just fell in love with these children. And I just thought, I can't teach music. I need to take my guitar in and sing to these kids in this special ed class. And so I switched my focus to special ed instead of music ed um, before I even got to college. And um, then at that point, someone said I should switch my idea of which school I was going to to a different school as well. So I went to the school that had a history of training teachers, mm-hmm. uh, and um, especially for special ed. So I went to the what had been a normal school hundreds of years ago. That's what they call teacher training institutions. Mm-hmm. And um, went to that school and got my undergraduate degree in special ed and worked for a year with kids in institutional placement that had special needs and severe behavior disorders and then went back and got my master's degree. Wow. So you taught? Yes. I taught mostly substitute teaching because I also got married right after I finished my master's degree and um, then my husband was trying to decide what he really wanted to do when he grew up so we moved to different places. And so I did a lot of subbing because I wasn't quite established in a community. But I mm-hmm. had some long-term sub positions that were, one was a, a year-long, oh, wow. um, long-term position and that they considered me a permanent staff, but at the end of that year, then the teacher who was on maternity leave chose to come back. Mm-hmm. So she still had seniority. Um, and then I did a, a couple of maternity leaves where the teacher was only gone for about half the school year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about your kids. Yes. Um, are they your biological children, your adopted children? They all were adopted from foster care. Okay. One of the things that um, I experienced when I was growing up, um, not belonging, was in church. The when I was in fourth and fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they um, brought. They bus children in from the local children's home. This is back when they could have legally have children's homes. They mm-hmm. don't so much now. They bought, brought bus these children in from the children's home, and um, I felt a little kinship with these children because they also didn't belong anywhere, and I didn't belong anywhere, and so um, I felt like I was a little bit more like them than I was like the other kids in the class. Um, the only thing that was different is that I didn't try to steal the cookies at snack time because I did come from a home where I was well fed and right. at the children's home had come from places where they never knew when treats might be mm-hmm. be provided. Um, but I remember um, saying something. Oh, they built a new addition on the children's home and we went to see it and these kids had huge rooms about twice the size of mine, the one I shared with my sister. And mm-hmm. So even though they shared them, they were still really big. And I remember saying something to my dad about how wonderful it would be to live in a place with, with such a big bedroom and how wonderful that would be. And he said, Lori, they never get to go on family vacations. They don't get to see their parents. They often, many of them don't ever get to see their grandparents. Some of them don't know who their grandparents are. And they don't get birthday parties and a lot of other things that you kids get and I decided that when I grew up I was not going to that was not going to happen that I was going to do something about kids who didn't get to have birthday parties and vacations and I didn't know at 10 or 11 that that was foster care but Mm -hmm. as an adult 
that's what I chose as um, a way of meeting that need for kids who had big needs. That's cool. That is really cool. Um, so, tell me a little bit about that journey. What was that? Um, at the time that we started being foster parents, we lived in the Denver area, and uh, we decided to license with the state of Colorado. And um, we were lived on the borderline um, between two counties, so we were in one county, and there was across the street from where we lived was the other county. So we could oh. license in either county because we were so close. And mm -hmm. So we actually licensed in the county that was across the street because they were a little bit bigger and they had a little bit, um, they had training offered a little more frequently so that we could get started right away. Mm -hmm. And so we went through their training and um, we were out of town for a little while. My husband was doing some training for the company he worked for and I went with him for the first week and then I came back and got a, and he had stayed for the second week. We got a call saying that they had a little boy and they would push our license through right away if we could take this little boy. He had Down syndrome and they didn't really know anything else about it. And I said, it sounded good. I'd like to do that. So she, um, the, I, I got a call then from a, 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 the caseworker that was his case manager a little bit later in the day. And um, she said she really didn't know a whole, have a whole lot of information about him, but that he'd been hospitalized for most of the winter and nearly died from RSV. This was May, by the way, <laughs> at that time. Um, had, and was now ready to leave the hospital, but the foster mom he'd been living with before he was hospitalized had pulled muscles and couldn't lift. He was two and a half, but was not yet walking. And so they needed someone to take him for four weeks so that this foster mom could heal. And so I said, sure, no problem. And so I go to the hospital and um, the uh, medical people said, well, great, you're going to try and see if you can keep him alive another four weeks. Oh. And they did not expect him to, live, to be school age. They didn't. They, they told us he would never eat or speak. He had a feeding tube. They, they said he would never eat or speak. That he would always be total care and just would never really progress much past where he was because he hadn't made much progress in the previous year. He's now thirty. <laughs> well, you did something right. <laughs> I know, you know, they kept saying he wouldn't live very long, he was relatively fragile, he wouldn't live past school age, he was going to have all these health problems, and then, you know, we turn around one day, he's 16, and we got to teach him to shave, and we're kind of like, oh my, what happened? <laughs> so what does he do now? Does he work, or...? You know, he would still need a lot of assistance with anything that he does. He's not total care like they anticipated him to be. But he is difficult to understand. He does have a lot of words at his disposal, at his disposal but only uses one or two at a time, most of the time. Um, and so it's difficult to understand him. And so he tends to need a lot of support in that. Um, respect. He also needs a lot of support because he has a very little frustration tolerance. Mm -hmm. So if something goes wrong, you got to get there fast and mm -hmm. help diffuse it before he gets frantic. Um, much of that, I believe, is due to the fact that 
before he was with much us, he was pretty much caged, and no one really interacted with him much. Mm -hmm. And so he was just left to sit in a favorite playpen without anybody interacting with him. So in his bio home, sometimes it would be days, and he would just be laying in his own excrement that moved out of the diaper. Um, when the physical therapist came to work with you. You know, I'm going to let you hold this. Okay. So that it'll pick up your voice. All right. They're used to my questions. Okay. So what about your other Blade is 24, and he was a shaken baby and fetal alcohol pretty severely. Um, and so he's got a long list of cerebral palsy and vision impairment and a lot of developmental delays, uh, seizure disorder, um, and just a lot of things where he just doesn't quite understand things the way we do. So he's, he doesn't have safety awareness. He, and some of that, I think, is because he doesn't really see as many dangers as I see. Um, if, he, if you don't see it coming, it's hard to be aware. And... <laughs> So, you know, he has no depth perception, so he would jump off of things from any height because he doesn't understand how far he is off the ground. He doesn't um, understand abstract concepts either, so it's really hard for him to really figure out that you can't run out in the street and put your hand up and expect traffic to stop for you. Um, it, it's just a little bit past that concrete functioning where he is. However, he is amazing with rote memory, and he memorizes verse after verse after verse of songs, especially loves hymns, and he, he can sing for hours without repeating because he knows so many songs, and he knows more than one verse. The rest of us know the first verse of all the hymns. He knows five, and, <laughs> and, and just anything that is rote memory, anything that is scripted, he can do extremely well. He comes across as exceedingly charming because we went to great lengths to teach him manners and courtesy words, and it's a scripted conversation then. And he can do that with great skill. But once you get off the script, then he struggles a lot more, and it's really confusing for him. Um, so, again, he also needs a lot of close supervision because that safety piece is missing. Um, he was in a day program, but closed due to COVID. So he and Dylan, who's 30, they have both been at home for the last year and a half. They've had some online um, things offered from their day programs. Dylan's has been really good. Blaze day program has been adequate, but not nearly as well structured as the other day program. Noah, yes, 13. And um, he came to us as a smiley little baby with his arm in a cast. And um, the, it, it's public information in the court um, court statement from his mother that she was, she said she was wasted and she took him by the arm and swung him against something and he hit either a door or a wall but she wasn't sure which. And so um, he was a little lethargic for about the first two weeks we had him and ever since that time he has just been a, a firecracker kid. He is happy, he's excited all the time. He um, you know, you, you talk about people being a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of personality. And Noah is always the glass rolling over the top kind of person. <laughs> and um, sees the positive in everything. When he was seven, he was diagnosed with 
type 1 diabetes. And um, a few days after that diagnosis, we're in the van on the way to family retreat, like we are now. And um, he turned to me and he says, Mom, it's so great. Now I have something too. I belong at family retreat. (laughs) And so he just is the kind of kid that that tends to see things from a pretty positive angle. He does have his frustrations, but it always amazes me how he can tell me he's annoyed with something with a smile on his face because that's just the kid he is. He shares my love for creative things and um, has been in dramatic productions at school and as a fifth grader even got pulled in um, to be one of the half dozen kids to round out the cast for the high school production of Mary Poppins. And so he, he has some good talents there. Um, to do that and um, he also has asthma and ADHD and I think the ADHD is more disabling for him when it comes to academics but the diabetes is obviously the one that would endanger his life if we didn't attend to it Mom? Yes. and here's Dylan and I'll be done in about five minutes go look around and see what there is and I will come and we'll see which ones you have <laughs> and then my littlest one James And he came to us when he was four weeks old after having a traumatic brain injury that was discovered when he was a 10-day-old infant where he had multiple facial skull fractures and bleeding on the brain. And we never heard the same story twice from his bio parents about what happened, so we don't know exactly. But the number and severity of those facial skull fractures pointed to something more than just a baby who rolled away from the mom who was changing the diaper, which was the initial story that we were told. Um, He is not very much affected. The most obvious thing initially was that he has blocked tear ducts. And so in the spring when things are starting to come into bloom, he usually has the goopy stuff in the corners of his eyes because it can't be reabsorbed into his tear ducts. Um, He's had two surgeries to try and open them, and the consensus of the three different medical specialists who did surgery is that the bones in his face moved when they were fractured, and that's why they cannot maintain open tear ducts for him. He also has a very slight um, hand tremor, but it does not stop him. He's still extremely athletic, and I've seen him play basketball with his same-age peers, and he's pretty much in the top of the group as far as skill, so he's doing that. And then he had some speech things, and he just graduated from speech this past year, Um, And there's every once in a while there will be a a little bit of a non-conventional thing that he says, but most of the time right now his speech is really um, ahead of the game as far as his vocabulary usage. Um, There was one day, beginning of third grade, so he just had, wasn't even nine yet, and I asked if he wanted tape or glue for the task that he was told to do, and he told me tape because it's more durable. Which so so yeah, he's got the great vocabulary and he can express himself really well. And now that he's finished, he's graduated from speech because he can make all of his sounds and um, make himself understood so much better. I'm seeing that vocabulary really take off because it's not as much work to pronounce the words that he's got in his brain. So he's doing fantastic, and we often call him Amazing James just because he just keeps amazing us with what he can do. Parenting children, period. I guess I get it. <laughs> How does that um, 
grow and strengthen or challenge your faith? You know, I think the the most obvious thing about parenting any child is that it's a never-ending job. You, you don't get a vacation from being a mom. You don't get your two weeks off in the summer. Or you don't get... Um, time off with pay or without or anything you just you just are always on duty there's never an uh, uh, you know nobody needs me now <laughs> kind of a time so I think that that is probably with any child there there's always that um, something that needs to be done there's always things that you need to do I think in my case because I have kids who don't have the kind of safety awareness that you would expect to be appropriate for their age that for me I'm probably a little bit more on hyper alert because I have to make sure that I'm not only looking out for the things that I would typically for their age but I'm also looking out for things that are unique to their personalities and their needs so I think that for me probably is a big challenge I think where it pushes my faith is that it really makes me be intentional about time with God so when I wake up in the morning and I especially love those cloudy mornings when there's not school that my kids will sleep a little bit later and I can't just say, oh, I, I could sleep in too. I really need to be intentional about getting up and having some quiet time and doing things that feed my soul so that I can be able to give to the kids that I have, the kids that God has given me all through the day. And so I think that makes me, um, gives me the requirement of needing to be more intentional about it. I can't just say, oh, I can catch it whenever because whenever may not actually come in a day after my kids get up. But I need to be really intentional about starting that way. And one of the questions I like to ask that you just led right into really nicely is how, um, who have you read or whatever listened to, however you prefer to do it lately, that has inspired you or helped you grow? Oh, my goodness. You've so many great recommendations from this question. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I often do in the morning really early, and especially on mornings when my husband has left early and nobody's moving and I'm still a little blurry-eyed and don't really want to read, one of the things that I've done is I've listened to a podcast called Pray Every Day with Mary DeMuth, and she reads a chapter of Scripture and then prays according to that Scripture. And since I tend to be kind of auditory as a musician, um, then I've got that a, a chapter of scripture just in my brain before I've even gotten out of bed. And so that's one of the things that kind of helps me to get jump started in the morning when it's a quiet morning. Um, there are other things, and I, I tend to read in snippets often because that's the kind of time I have. Um, I really like Psalm 147 because there's a huge contrast between God's majesty in creation and all that he's done and then how he, and in his power to create and then how he still stoops to care for us in our great need um, with the example of, of the third verse there where it says he heals our wounds and binds up our needs and that the same God who's created the, the huge mountains and the the powerful ocean is the same God that stoops to tend to my wounds and tend to my needs. I'll just ask one last question because I know you're going to get out of here and go hang out with your kids. Yep. But, um, 
How do you feel the Lord is working in and through you recently, or you could talk about past? Um, I think one of the the things that a friend had pointed out to me is some of the things that my kids do or that I've learned from my kids or that I've experienced with raising special needs kids have given me a slightly different viewpoint on things in life. And so often when I'm reading the Bible, I will there will be a phrase or a word in there that really comes more to life because of the experience that I have with my kids. And so I think sometimes instead of just reading along, I find myself stopped up short with a a word or an idea that really requires me to then go back and really express that thankfulness to God that, wow, what an amazing God we have, what a caring God we have, something that really becomes more meaningful because of some experience that I've had with the uniqueness of my kids. Speaking of kids, he's back. He is. <laughs> I will take the end of the recorder, and thank you so much. You're welcome. There you go. This is great.